Well, good morning once again. Uh, I was at the game on Friday. Uh, I was there with Tim and Mason and Tim's dad, and I can tell you that they surely didn't pray for a clean tongue. Those guys, wow. Tim's dad. No, I'm just kidding. Good to see you, Mr. Warner. <laughs> I wait till after the giving to say that. <laughs> hey, we're going to jump right into today's story. Uh, um, last week, we left off in... Uh, Matthew chapter 19, and we're beginning Matthew chapter 20 today. So if you have a Bible, uh, pull it out, uh, start in verse 1. It's also going to be on the screen uh, behind me. But we're telling the story of God told through the eyes of a tax collector named Matthew. Um, some of you haven't, you know, you're back to church, summer's over, um, and you feel like you haven't missed anything because we're still talking about that same story. So good for you, right? You skip. All right, here we go. Verse 1, um, this is a story about workers. It says, God's kingdom is like, and so Jesus is taking this moment to tell stories. He's on his way to Jerusalem, getting closer and closer to the, the, the cross um, and the resurrection. And he's beginning to describe what the kingdom looks like. And he, he often tells stories and parables, and it's hard for people to understand, but uh, he wants to kind of bring it to their terms. And he says this, God's kingdom is like an estate manager who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. They agreed on a wage of a dollar a day and went to work. Now, when we read that, we look at that and go, a dollar a day? You know, what? Back then, yes, a dollar would have been a day's wage. But still, the thought through, went through my mind real quick of like going, a dollar a day to work out in the vineyard. Um, and so I started thinking about jobs I've had in my past, of jobs where I felt maybe I didn't get paid what I should have got paid or, or I definitely didn't like what I was doing. And, and I remember... One of my jobs, and I've shared this before, I worked at a, a turkey farm for, uh, during uh, the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, one year. Um, and it was a sad but delicious job, um, uh, but we would provide fresh turkeys for uh, the community. But that, that was a job. I, I came home, I, I didn't like it. It wasn't the best job, and it definitely wasn't the highest paying job out there. It didn't um, it require much skill to, to, to herd turkeys into this room. Um, where they went. Um, but for you, I'm sure you've had jobs before that you maybe didn't like, like it was a bad job or, you know, you didn't get paid what you thought you should have gotten paid. So I want you to take a moment and we haven't done this in a while, um, but we kind of call this our table talk. You have a table in front of you. We want you to talk to take a moment to maybe pull in close to someone around you, turn to someone in front or behind you and just tell them what was the worst job you've ever had? Like what job do you remember? Look back and go, man, I can't believe I did that job or a job that you did that you felt you were totally underpaid for. How many people think they're underpaid right now? All of you come on, be honest, right? So look at that. Take a minute, double arms there. Take, take a minute real quick. Say hello to the person next to you. Tell me your name and then talk about a job that you maybe your worst job ever having or a job that you did that you didn't get paid very much. Do that for a minute.
Okay, hopefully, uh, hopefully most of you have had a chance to. Hopefully, most of you have had a chance to at least get to know someone's name, and possibly hear a story or two. I wasn't over there uh, with Jody, but I know she shared this before. I don't know if she was sharing this with you, Jordan, or not. But she tells a story a lot about a job she had when she was in college. Um, she worked for a, uh, a Jewish family, um, and she she tells a story where um, they their youngest boy was getting a, uh, had to get a circumcision, but it was during the time of the year. Maybe use some words that I could, that I, during well, during Passover where they weren't allowed to use certain things or do certain works, and so um, she was asked by this family. She was the token non-Jew. Could be so offensive. Um, <laughs> church. Um, um, so she had to go there, and she was she had to hold the light above um, the 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 baby. What's the doctor the the moil? Thanks, Matt. Um, and so she had to hold the light and be above it. I was like, and so she tells the story often of that she had to, you know, she was the token non-Jew, like you said. She got paid 60 denarius. Yes. Um, do it. But I don't know. I, I don't think that was a job I could cut, but there was a. Oh, I, I get Easy, easy. All right. All right. Verse back there. Verse three through five. All right. Um. <laughs> Verse 3 says, later about 9 o'clock, the manager saw some other men hanging around the town square, unemployed. He told them to go to the work in the vineyard, and he would pay them a fair wage, and they went. He did the same thing at noon and again at 3 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock, he went back and found still others standing around. He said, why are you standing around all day doing nothing? And they said, because no one hired us. He told them to go to work in his vineyard. When the day's work was over, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, Call the workers in and pay them their wages. Start with the last hired, and then go to the first. Those hired at five o'clock came up and they were given a dollar. When those who were hired first saw that, well, they assumed that they would get far more. But they got the same, each of them one dollar. Taking the dollar, they groused angrily to the manager. These last workers put in only one easy hour, and you just made them equal to us, who slaved all day under a scorching sun. Verse 13, he replied to the one speaking for the rest, friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage of a dollar, didn't we? So take it and go. I decided to give to the one who came last the same to you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Are you going to get stingy because I am generous? Verse 16, here it is again, the great reversal. We read this last week. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. I think if we were all honest, this is one of those stories that Jesus tells that none of us like, like, right? That, that all of us, like we get what he's getting at. We get the point that he's making. We understand that the boss gets to make the decisions. We understand that the boss gets to do whatever she wants, right? But not one of us in here would, would like it if we were that. Imagine working all day out in the hot sun. That wasn't one of my jokes. I was just saying... Y'all laugh at that. Imagine working uh, all day out in the hot sun, right? We're doing all the work and then some kid comes along and he shows up just about an hour before the work's done. He does a few things. And at the end of the day, he gets paid the same amount you get paid. He wasn't even out in the hot sun. This guy just started working. All the real hard work was already done. 
you and I would think that we should get paid more than that guy, right? And technically the boss wasn't doing us wrong. She paid us exactly what we agreed to be paid. But still we would, we would all walk away thinking that we were cheated. That we were, we were done wrong. That we should have been paid more. And it's not just when it comes to our job. It's everything in life. Whatever the situation is, you and I have this idea that something is not fair and we, we deserve better. Like, like this video. Watch, watch it with me. So I pay $5 for a two-hour movie and then realize that my flight is only 90 minutes long. I mean, come on! I'm so tired. I think I slept too much. Honey, the fridge is full. Babe, my coffee mug is too tall for the curing. What am I supposed to do with my leftover chicken fajitas? I'm hungry, but I'm not, like, hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I don't even know if I'm hungry. It's 11 o'clock, and I don't know whether to eat breakfast or lunch. I think I'm hungry. I hate watching Blu-rays on this TV. It looks too real. I'm not even hungry. My phone is 4G, but we don't have 4G coverage where we live, so it's the worst. This is the worst. No! Oh! Oh! I clicked restart instead of shut down. I have to wait for it to start back up again so I can shut it down. I hate it. I'm like too healthy. I never get to use any of my sick days. Closet full of clothes, nothing to wear. My white noise machine broke last night and I didn't get any sleep. There's nothing to watch. There is nothing to watch. The bottom of my foot has been itching all day, but it tickles when I scratch it. I didn't finish brushing my teeth this morning. My battery died halfway through. <laughs> I hate that. My hair smells like Starbucks. My hand smells like Starbucks. My iPad smells like Starbucks. That's the worst. Mm. <laughs> I lost it. Just shoot me. Oh, just shoot me. Put me out of my misery. Kill me now. Just shoot me in the face. Wasn't I just chewing gum? I don't remember spitting it out. This blanket doesn't have any sleeves. <laughs> I bet none of you have ever said any of those things, right? But, but, but what is that, right? What is it something that... It's, I believe it's something that my generation likes to call the, the next generation. I believe it's the generation before me would call my generation. The generation before them would call their generation. And it's what everyone calls teenagers. It's entitled, right? We use the word entitled. That's what it is. The truth is, though, that most all Americans have this problem, this sense of entitlement. When someone grows up experiencing very little strife, like most Americans... When you and I grow up comfortable, and we're used to being comfortable, there's a sense that you and I think we deserve, right? Whatever it is, but we deserve it. We're used to getting what we want or what we think we, we need, and so we live in this sense of entitlement. And I've heard it said that the majority of suffering in the world is by people taking offense rather than offense actually being given out. In other words, we get more offended by what we don't get rather than what is actually given. 
You and I would be offended if we worked all day in the field and we just got paid as much as that kid who just worked one hour. You and I would be offended if we don't get our tip at the end, if we don't get our Christmas bonus, right? And instead it's a membership to the Jelly of the Month Club, right? Although that is the gift that keeps on giving the whole year, we would be offended, right? We would be offended if we don't get the raise that we deserve or we don't get the extra that we think we're entitled. And if we're paying attention, we would see that this is a source of anger and unhappiness in our world and in our personal lives. But we live in a culture that is very entitled. And it's not just the younger generation, it's all of us. We all have some degree of entitlement. And Jesus could sense this happening with with his disciples. And so he does what he does best. He tells a story. And in doing so, he turns the whole thing upside down. Last week's story, you had a man who said, I've followed all the rules, Jesus. And so surely I deserve the kingdom of heaven. Surely I'm entitled to eternal life. And Jesus says, well, if you really want to be perfect, if you want to earn your eternal life, sell all your stuff and, and give the money to the poor. And rather than letting that go, instead of letting go of the, the power and the position, the, the privilege that this man had, he walked away. And his disciples were like, wait a minute, Jesus, with all that you've required out of that man, uh, all that you've required of us, who at all could actually be saved? And Jesus says, well, if it's left to your, your own power and your own ability, it's impossible. But he says, with God, everything is possible. And then he said this one thing. And we're reminded of it in, in uh, today's story. He says, many who are first will find themselves last. And those in last will be first in my kingdom. And in that moment, he flips over the systems in our culture and in our churches. Jesus says that, listen, the nobodies in your society, the insignificant, the immigrant, the people of color, the disabled, the LGBT, those on the outside, those of you that you may feel are unworthy, less than those that you put last. Jesus says, church, you better be ready. Because the way you measure the worth and the value of a person, you might find yourselves outside the kingdom when it's all said and done. And so how do we get free from that way of thinking, that way of measuring value? Richard Rohr says, unless you experience for yourself what he calls divine mercy, in other words, undeserved love, you and I will not be able to deconstruct those systems of determining the worth of others, the systems we use to determine who's in and who's out when it comes to the kingdom of God. And it's not an easy thing to let go of. It's, it's hard to break this entitlement, this idea that we've given this much and so we deserve that much in return. He says, every expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. Every expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. When you and I expect things and those are not filled, when you and I don't get what we think we deserve, when you and I don't uh, get what we think we're entitled to, well, then we begin to resent others. But deeper and darker than that, when others get what we don't think they deserve, we resent not only them, but the one who gives. So how do we change that? How do we deconstruct the systems that tell us we deserve this or that we're entitled to that? How do we change the part of us that determines what others deserve? 
It's, it's when you and I, we stop expecting something. Because when you and I stop expecting, then everything else becomes a gift. When you wake up in the morning, that has very little to do with you and a whole lot to do with God. What if you and I looked at each day as a gift from God? This last week, Derek and Kayla, the family lost someone very special. Derek's dad, Randy, passed away at 58. Just had got double knee replacement less than a month ago. Thought he had a new lease on life. Joked around with Derek that, man, I got young legs again. I'm, I'm moving. Started feeling bad and went in for a test and ended up having heart surgery that week. Thought things were going to be okay. Two days later, Randy passed away. And yesterday, I was a part of a celebration of a life of a man who, who, who gave his time, his energy, into serving and loving others. We spent almost two hours going around this large room, standing room only, hearing story after story of a man who had impacted so many people, who took every opportunity he had to speak into the lives of young people, students who had come out of some disadvantaged uh, homes and systems who were so thankful that this guy gave back to them. What if you and I stopped expecting and started looking at today as a gift? What if our prayers turned from, I need this, I'd really like for you to do this for me, God, to prayers of just, thank you, God. Thank you for today. Thank you for the people in my life. Thank you for what I already have. When our, tur- our, our prayers turn to thank you, and when we stop expecting and telling God what we deserve, then we will see everything as a gift. Demanding our rights is no way to live. Jesus says, God can be generous as God wants. No one is entitled to anything. Who of us here would admit that at one time or another, we determined in our minds who the good people are and who the bad people are? If we were honest, who in here has not said or thought that those people are in and those people are out? And if we were all really honest, who would admit that, well, you're always the one that's in? Have you ever heard the phrase, I've never met a Calvinist who wasn't elect? I've never met a Christian who believed that they were going to hell. But I've met many who knew others that were. My first sermon series here, we took communion together, which we're about to do in a few moments. At the end of the message, I invited anyone who wanted to come and take communion. And later that week, we got calls. We heard people complain about the various people who took communion that Sunday. No specific names, but just those people. That I would allow people like them to take holy communion. It was a holy sacrament and it was only for certain people. Listen, church, at the end of the day, when I stand before God, I would much rather God say to me, wow, you sure did invite a lot of people, right? Rather than instead of him saying, who told you not to invite those others? See, the table is a place where there's a lot of room, there's a lot of space, and I want to keep inviting people to join me around the table. Let's go hypothetical for for a moment. I'm asking for a friend. Here we go. But what if, when this is life is is all said and over, 
the final message is, the story ends with God saying, you know what? I'm just going to love everyone. You know what? I'm going to forgive everyone. What if he turns and says, yo, Peter, open the gates. They're all invited into the kingdom. What if God says that? What if? God says, I can be as generous as I want to be. I gave you what I promised you. What if? As good Christians, many of us have already determined who gets heaven and who gets hell if there is such a place. The tragedy I see, though, is that there are so many so-called followers of Christ that are okay with determining that for us. Like, you're, you're totally cool with those people not being invited to the party. That those, you're, you're totally okay with those people being left out. That some people get this weird delight in the idea that some won't get what we're going to get. And even the thought of everyone getting in, the thought that what Jesus did on the cross covers all, that when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it was finished. The smallest hope that all would get in in the end and ultimately that love would win creates within you this anger and hatred towards a father welcoming in the prodigal son. Because you spent your entire life working in the father's field Obeying all the commandments. You went to church every Sunday. You, you obeyed the law. You were good enough, right? You're getting in, right? And Jesus says, well, there's only one who is good. But if you want to play that game, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. If you want to be first, then you have to become last. You want to be in my, uh, first in my kingdom? Jesus says, serve others. Love others. Invite others. Welcome others in. And we love only because we learn to love from a God who is love. We need to stop expecting and stop demanding our rights. Stop insisting what we deserve. We need to move from a system of determining who's in and who's out to a system of grace. And in that system, everything is a gift given freely to everyone. We're just left to receive. Because that is a God that is love. I want to invite the band to join me on stage. And we're going to move into a time where you're going to be invited to the table to take part in communion. The band is going to sing a song called Love Came Down. And I'm not sure if this is the first time they've played it for us. But it says, if my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, I hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life, they come and the roads ahead get steep, I will lift these hands in faith. I will believe. I'll remind myself of all that you've done in the life I have because of your son. Mountains high or valley low, I sing out and remind my soul I am yours. I am forever yours. And when my heart is filled with hope. Every promise comes my way when I feel your hands of grace rest upon me. Staying desperate for you, God, staying humble at your feet. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. I'm yours. I am forever yours.
Jody started the service off with Romans chapter 15, verse 13. But I want to read the verses that came right before that. It said this in verse 7. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it. Now you do it. Jesus, staying true to God's purposes, reached out in a special way to the Jewish insiders so that the old ancestral promises would come true for them. And as a result, the non-Jewish outsiders have been able to experience mercy and to show appreciation to God. Just think of all the scripture that will come true in what we do. For instance, then I will join outsiders in a hymn sing and I'll sing to your name. And this one, outsiders and insiders rejoice together. And again, people of all nations celebrate God. All colors, races, hearty praise. Isaiah's word, there's the root of our ancestor Jesse, breaking through the earth and growing tree tall, tall enough for everyone, everywhere to see and take hope. Oh, may the God of green hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace. Lives filled with the life giving energy of the Holy Spirit brim over with hope. Listen to the words of the song.